welcome to Kings River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast, where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by local actors. We're doing something a little different with this episode. We're offering it in two parts. This episode features part one of the mystery short story, Harvey and the Redhead by Deborah H. Goldstein. It's read by local actors, Sean Hopper and Ariel Lynn. The story was published in the anthology, The Eyes of Texas, Private Eyes from the Panhandle to the Piney Woods, edited by Michael Bracken and published by Down and Out Books in 2019. Watch for part two to go up next week. If you'd like to help support this podcast, listen for details in the close of this episode on how to become a patron and get some fun perks. Harvey, not exactly the most popular name in Houston right now. The redhead pointed to the noir knight name tag pasted on my brown blazer's lapel. I gave her a second look. She was pretty. Not a cute pretty, but the genuine siren-type beauty that would knock most guys' socks off. Not mine, though. I've sworn off blondes and redheads. Eh, Maybe not, but the name suits me. She took the barstool next to me and crossed her legs in my direction. I didn't even try to avert my eyes from her perfectly formed gams. Why bother? My gaze didn't faze her one iota. Either she was used to men staring and drooling, or she was deliberately provoking me. When she inched her skirt up, Exposing more thigh, I decided it was both. I bit. Rather than a few hours of escaping Houston flood stuff by taking part in open mic like me, I get the feeling I'm your target tonight. Why don't I buy you a drink and you tell me why? The laugh that erupted from her cherry-red lips when I signaled for the waiter was deep and throaty. What you'd expect from a Dashiell Hammett or Raymond Chandler character, or a dame like this one. I pulled a pack from my pocket and offered her one. She took it, It dangled from her lips until I lit it. Then she let it lightly rest on two fingers as she removed it from her mouth and blew smoke rings over her shoulder. In this era of non-smokers, I doubted that ever deterred her. I guessed she was trying to conjure up my memories of Bogey, playing off Bacall or Bergman, but her style might simply have been influenced by what we'd heard over the microphone during the last hour. Or maybe she and I belonged back in the golden era of hard-boiled detective stories and noir. I like to think the stories I grew up reading 
made me become a private eye. Then again, maybe not. No matter. Considering this was the first night in four, I wasn't lying awake in a shelter, fretting about how much I lost when my Meyerland place flooded. I had no intention of being in working mode. Uh, scotch, meat for me, I told the waiter. And the lady will have... A vodka martini with two olives. I looked at her more closely. Unlike me, her face was unlined, and rather than needing a tint or Grecian formula, the red was natural. No question. She wanted something from me, or she'd be doing something better with her time. I doubted she even knew the names of the writers, or any of the characters whose names were being tossed around during open mic. The waiter brought our drinks. Without a toast to each other, I drank about half of mine and tapped my glass for a refill. Might as well be fortified for the evening. In good time, I'd find out how she knew to find me here. I waited. There's a lot of waiting in my business. Sometimes it's a stakeout to get pictures of a philandering husband or a kid as he finishes servicing an old guy's young wife or mistress. Most of the time, it's a matter of going through dusty records, doing internet searches, or using old-fashioned legwork to find someone or something. Occasionally, I'll pretend to be a meter man or delivery guy to get close enough to talk to a neighbor or take a closer peek through a window or a door. This gal didn't give me the feeling any of these things would be what she wanted. You know my name, so why don't you tell me who you are? Or should I call you Double Olive? She laughed again while the waiter replaced my empty glass. Olive actually is right. Olive Twist. When I raised an eyebrow, she added, Really? Sure. I don't like to be played. Next thing she'd tell me, she was a cousin to those Hog Sisters, or part of that tree family who named its kids Christmas, Pine, and on down the line. She sipped her drink. You've heard of Twist Realty and Development. I sat up straighter and mentally clocked in. There might be a good fee in... Whatever this was. Yeah? Last year, you discreetly helped my Uncle Jack resolve a problem. He thought you might be able to do the same for me. It depends. I don't take just any case. I twirled my glass around, thinking I should have ordered it on the rocks so I could have made the ice clink a bit. Although I wasn't looking for work tonight... 
Harvey'd made it necessary for me to find a gig soon. Things were slow before Harvey, and who knew what the storm's aftermath was going to be for dicks like me? The three shirts, blazer, and two pairs of slacks I'd salvaged from my old place didn't take up much space in my newly provided FEMA closet. They were going to need some company, especially if anything went to the cleaners. Hopefully, whatever Olive wanted wouldn't take me to the cleaners. I understand, but Uncle Jack, he's my dad's business partner, but not really a relative. Thought this might interest you. Especially since you live in Ireland. Eh, that's a bit debatable this week, but I'm listening. I need a painting retrieved. I held up my hands, framing a small picture. She shook her head and spread hers wide. Without seeing it, I had the feeling her painting would dwarf any wall in my old house if it still had walls. That seems a pretty big painting to misplace. Was it stolen during the storm? No, years ago, but it turned up the day before Harvey. If you know where it is, what do you need me for? To get my painting back, without involving me or my family. I sipped my drink and bent closer to her my eyes never leaving her face. This time, it was she who waited me out. I was impressed. Silence usually works in my favor, but I'm the one who ended up speaking first. It sounds like this is something better suited for the police than a private detective. She asked for another cigarette. I gave it to her and flicked my bick to light it. Olive inhaled before slowly blowing the smoke back at me. That would be complicated. I never reported it missing. It's hot? Something bought on the black market? Nothing like that. Uncle Jack painted the picture when my grandfather and he were young. They got into art as a cultural thing. They studied and began buying what's now the Twist Griswold Collection. Uncle Jack also tried his hand at painting. The missing painting hung in his study, but because I liked it, he gave it to me when I was 14. It has sentimental value, but no economic worth. Consciously, I relaxed the furrow of my brow, but couldn't fully erase my frown. I think I'm missing something here. Your Uncle Jack isn't a famous artist whose paintings carry great price tags. Nor is he someone infamous enough for his works to command top dollar, like those of Eisenhower, Churchill, or that ex-president who paints in Dallas. So why avoid the police? Two reasons. First, because my name is Twist. She shoved a copy of the previous day's Houston Chronicle at me. I glanced at its front page 
while listening to her. The two-line headline read, Artist Daniel Jones rescues ten, dies trying to save his own paintings. The picture showed standing water licking the bottom of a couch. From a dark slash on the wall behind the couch, I could tell the water had significantly receded from its high point. A painting of one of our local parks was centered over the couch, just above the floodline. I skimmed the story. Apparently, Jones, a local artist whose name I even recognized, used a rubber dinghy and electrical cords to bring people from his house and two sets of neighbors to safety from the hurricane's swirling waters. When there was a lull in the storm, he returned home to retrieve his favorite pieces of artwork. But something went wrong. Responders, checking for stranded people, spotted him lying face down in the muck in front of his house. It was unknown if a tree limb or piece of falling debris hit him. He was pronounced dead at the scene of the accident. And two? And two, because the article doesn't mention if the police are investigating this as a suspicious death. If Uncle Jack or I become involved, the police will stop looking for suspects. I pushed the paper back to her, without asking if one of them did it. My finger rested on the painting hanging over the couch. Is this a Jones original? Or the painting you've been talking about? It's the one I told you about. I want you to get it back and find out who killed Daniel. Well, one thing at a time. You said your Uncle Jack painted it. But if you had it, how did it end up hanging in the living room of a prominent artist? She rubbed the stub of her cigarette out in my empty drink glass and glanced out the window. I don't know why Daniel hung that painting there instead of one of his own. Perhaps it reminded him of the best of times, or what it was like before he made it as an artist. I still don't see this as a job needing a private eye. I let my words play in her mind. This time, the moment of silence worked in my favor. Her gaze met mine. I searched her face for some sign of warmth, but the now rigid line of her jaw matched the ice blue of her eyes. Getting the painting back might not need a private eye, but finding out who killed Daniel does. You see, if the police are worth two cents, they're going to think I did. She paused. I didn't give her the satisfaction of showing my reaction, but my brain churned, wondering what exactly she'd left out of her story. Why? Because I'm the black sheep who ran away and married a struggling artist named Jones. It took a lot of heartache and physical pain before I realized my family was right about him. She laughed again, but not in the genuine manner of before. I chased him 
and his bimbo down our driveway using the bumper of my car to help him increase his speed. Uncle Jack handled the details of smoothing things over, but I'm sure the bimbo, who was one of the people Daniel saved, remembers me yelling, I'm going to kill you if it's the last thing I do. I'm going to see you dead. But, no pun intended, that seems like it would be water over the dam now. It would be, except Daniel came to see me last week. I leaned back on my stool, holding my hands in the meditative position where the fingertips from each hand touch each other as if in prayer. How did he know where you were? Everyone knows I'm always at work. Since my grandfather died, my father has been involved in the business less. If anyone needs anything at Twist, it's call Olive. She ran a manicured finger tipped in a color that matched her lips and hair around the rim of my empty glass. After my divorce, I joined the family business and became a model employee. What did Daniel want? For me to anonymously underwrite a showing of his work. For old time's sake. Did you agree? Hell no. I told him I wouldn't be blackmailed by a two-timing wimp. I pointed to the door and suggested he be careful, lest it hit him on the way out. And? He made some nasty cracks, but left. I knew he was gone. I locked my office door, put my head on my desk, and had a good cry. I couldn't imagine her face splotchy, crying about him or what he had on you. You're perceptive, Olive said. At the time, I could have made a scene about his behavior during our marriage, but he had me over a barrel. She paused to wave the waiter over for another round. Figuring I'd better get something in my stomach, I grabbed a handful of shelled peanuts from the community bowl sitting on the bar. I've always been good at holding my liquor, but if I wasn't careful, Olive was going to put me to shame. When we married, I thought Daniel was family, so I didn't keep any secrets from him. Unfortunately, or should I say, unwisely, I told him a few things that would have been better left unsaid. But you're going to tell me. Uncle Jack said it would be the only way to gain your interest. I nodded. Apparently, Jack sized me up quickly and accurately during our past dealing. Olive had my complete attention, and maybe my cooperation. This reading of Part 1 of Harvey and the Redhead was produced by Kings River Life and directed by Lori Lewis Ham. You can learn more about the author on her website, DebraGoldstein.com. If you'd like to help us be able to continue to bring you more mystery fun, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash kingsriverlife. Even $1 a month can make a difference. We also have some cool merchandise available out in Redbubble, and you can make a one-time donation through PayPal. Check the show notes for the link and for the links to our websites and social media. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure that you don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter for bonus content. If you enjoy this episode, 
please rate or review it as this helps make us easier to find for others. Until next time, this is your announcer wishing you a life full of mystery.